Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by the X-Men. Wait, shouldn't that be X-People? Come on now, Xavier, smash the patriarchy. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Slurm Zero. All the addiction without the taste. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And today we are still filmmakers, writers. Um, we perform in front of the camera, work a lot behind the camera, post-production. I and Todd do it all. But we are joined by a very special guest today. We are joined by the photographer, Hannah Hartman. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is like a very much, very much first for me. So I'm nice. excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is you recently made the jump from corporate world. You've had a pretty good career going in corporate, but you decided to go full-time as a creative, as a photographer, as your full-time job. I'd like to hear how hard was that decision to make um, and what propelled you to do it along with how's it going? Yeah. Um, I actually have been doing photography alongside different jobs that I've had probably since before I even graduated college, really, I guess is the timeline on that. So since maybe 2017, 18. Um, and so going full-time was something I wanted to do for a while. I think I stayed in safe places because I had health insurance and all the, all the things like the benefits from jobs like that in marketing. And, um, it just became my most recent position became really toxic and I realized like how unhappy I was. And so the time came for me to part ways and the very natural next step for me was just to go full time. So I've been wanting to do it for a while. So it wasn't a hard decision to make. It's been a hard journey. Uh, it's challenging to work for yourself after not doing that, but I kind of just reverted back to college days and that like time management and discipline and um, just having an opportunity to be, to be creative and tell stories and help people kind of showcase their love or their <clears throat> important moments in time and all their life. And I love it. So now, now did you, um, did you plan for it? Or did you just wake up one day and, be, and say, that's it, I'm out, peace, you know, like, did you, did you have uh, clients in the till or, or did you just yeah. go for it? So I had some clients, yes. Um, cool. But mostly I just, I, I kind of went for it. I'd been planning to move into um, another position in the same industry and I just decided not to go that route. And when the day came for me to, to leave that position that I had, I just, I just did it. Just did it. Yeah. That's I mean, amazing. I, I hated that position for a hot minute. So <laughs> <laughs> it was coming, but I didn't, I didn't decide that freelance was going to be my next path forward until, um, until I did. And it was kind of just jumping off and doing it and, yeah, it was scary. It was pretty scary. I've definitely learned a lot about myself in the last couple months. <laughs> How's it been yeah. just, you know, finding projects and, you know, engaging new clients, trying to build out your roster? Um, how's that whole process been for you? It's been good. It's challenging to kind of branch out um, from where I live, which is what I really want to be doing. Uh, that's probably been the most challenging part. But 
I still am working with um, some local community efforts. And so I'm doing some marketing work for them. So any, anything that I'm not like any momentum that I don't necessarily have with photography that I'm still working to build. Um, I am supplementing that with other projects because mm-hmm. I'm pretty involved in the community. My last job had me laced into a lot of that. And I stayed in those board positions and kind of stayed involved. And so I've been working with some of those nonprofits and community organizations as a contracted employee or board member. So anything that's kind of slow, it doesn't really affect me financially. It kind of, I have allowed myself room to supplement so that I can continue to try to grow. Um, I'm about to lease a studio space in the downtown of the city that I live in. So I'm uh, looking to try to market that and get some some studio clients. Who that's have, huge. Yeah. A studio? <laughs> yeah. It'll be, it's going to be, um, it's pretty big for just me. So it'll be a shared space with mm-hmm. photographers. And then I'll be able to sublet it out and kind of lease it out to other creatives and utilize the space how they choose to when I'm not in there. So, Are you going to buy it? Oh, uh, no, just running it for now. So Running it yeah. and then subletting yeah. it? Yeah. Very cool. Which they're, wow. they're allowing us to do that, which is awesome. Um, yeah. They're allowing us a lot of flexibility for the space that we have. And it's fairly inexpensive, so I'm super excited. It's all a, new journeys. <laughs> I have, I mean, I have so many questions, but I'm just going to boil it down to one real, real quick. How, as a, as a professional, I think one of the, one of the questions in 2023, I think that everybody's asking like all creatives is, is what they think of AI and uh. <laughs> how that impacts, you know, what you do and how you see it, you know, do you yeah. see it as a tool or do you see it as, as something that limits you or hinders you or, or, you know, whatever, like, how do you see AI? I think a lot of people are afraid of AI, but I see it as a tool. And also I think humans will always crave human interaction. I don't think there's much that you can do as an AI to replace what happens when humans connect with each other in a very intimate space. And that's kind of what I want to create with my work and what I do. And I don't think any AI could ever take that over from me. So if I have to stay at a small scale in order to provide that, as long as I'm making a living and I'm happy, then I'm good with it. But AI, as far as a tool, uh, there's a lot of advancements that even just in post-production that I've, I've seen as beneficial. So as that continues to develop, hopefully it takes away in some capacity when people start to alter images to this unrealistic mm-hmm. version of what has actually been captured. I have no interest in work like that. And I feel like clients who also don't have that interest will be the ones that find me and I find them. I love that. What a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Very cool. Todd, what are we doing today, man? Uh, so today we are doing Barbie. So if you haven't seen this film, please pause the episode, go do theater and watch it. It's still in the theaters. It'll probably be in the theaters for like another six months or something. Or please pause it because we're going to be giving a lot of spoilers away. So. Yeah, we'll look at a bunch of stuff. Definitely want to look at some of the cinematography, a lot about the story and writing, pop culture references, Ken, Ruth, Gloria, Sasha, um, all that. Performances we'll look at a little bit, as well as some of the set design and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film, Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. It's directed by Greta Gerwig, written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto. It's featuring Margot Robbie as stereotypical Barbie, Ryan Gosling as Ken, Kate McKinnon as Weird Barbie, America Ferreira as Gloria, 
uh, Ariana Greenblatt as Sasha and Michael Sarah as Alan. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beach off. Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach oh, both of us off? That doesn't make sense. Ken? You can't even you beach yourself off. You're going to beach Come both on, of us off. Beach. Nobody's going to beach anyone off. <laughs> Uh, so. that's it that's the clip that's i love it <laughs> there weren't that many options Perfect. there's so many other great clips that would be you know more appropriate but that was the only one that wasn't just you know music <laughs> and so um i'd like to start with todd so i'm curious one what your history is with barbie like you grew up you know with a sister and so i don't know where barbie's around the house did you ever play with them as well as current relationship with barbie like you have a daughter yeah. and i'd be curious you know what's going on there if anything uh, as well as you know what you think of the film uh okay well i'll start with the first part uh my history with barbie i mean yeah you know grew up you know i have a sister and she was into barbies and all that stuff and dolls <clears throat> and this is back you know in the 80s late 80s and uh and probably into early 90s i actually had kens i had a couple of kens so yeah, I have history with the dolls, <laughs> yeah. uh, and now I have a daughter, and um, I mean, she has n- not really been into Barbie. She's more into like American, the American Girl dolls or whatever mm-hmm. that are, they're bigger and they're, I, I don't know, they're more like doll-esque, I guess, like that you can hold and, and everything. And um, and I, I always liked that because, I mean, they're more expensive and uh, by a lot, but uh, but I always liked that because they promote like a lot of like, she has a lot of different colored dolls. She has a lot of different versions of those. And I know that Barbie has that too, but it was just like, I don't know. She was just into that. So less Barbie nowadays, I think she's had a couple, but when she was like little, little, she had a couple, but wasn't a whole lot about the film. I mean, I loved it. I I don't know what to say. Like it was, to me, it was fantastic. It was it was funny and fun the whole time. There were only a couple of references. I saw it with my kids and my, my wife and a few other people. And there were only a couple of references that I felt a little bit like, uh, you know, wasn't really comfortable having my seven-year-old, you know, hearing that or whatever. Like there was one scene where, where, you know, they're in the real world and they go and they talk to the, the construction workers and, uh, Barbie says, well, he doesn't have a penis and I don't have a vagina. I don't have a problem with those words at all, but I just don't want to introduce that to my, my daughter right, right now, you know? So, but it was just like a real, the way that it was delivered was very, you know, innocent Mm. and very matter of fact, you know? So it wasn't like belabored, like, Hey, this is a moment. It was Mm. just like, this is a line. And then we move on with the, with the film. And so I was okay with Ken's it. reaction to that too, by the way. He's just like, what are you doing? Not in front of them. <laughs> yeah. I have all the genitals. Yeah. <laughs> all the, that's right. It's so good. Um, so anyway, but there were some really wonderful moments too in the film. Uh, I mean, my favorite moment the entire time of the entire film was when Barbie sits down at the, at the bus stop next to the old lady. Mm-hmm. And she says, you're beautiful. The old lady says, I know it. I mean, I almost started crying in that moment. And my wife, my wife did. She <laughs> cries at everything all the time. 
So she instantly burst into tears. And I was like on the verge of it. To me, that was the whole movie. Hmm. That one interaction, that one line said everything. How I would, I would pose this question for anybody who is, goes in to watch this film and, and maybe has some idea or like even, even watches it and then leaves with an opinion. Because I think everybody has opinions and everybody's entitled to to them. Maybe this is, you know, very anti-man or whatever. Like, I think people can have their opinion. I would, what I would say is, how would you make a movie about Barbie? Like, really? Like, like, let me ask you that question. What kind of movie would you make if you were making a Barbie movie? Because to me, this is a perfect version of this. To me, this is saying... This is bringing up all the the things that people have thought and maybe said or maybe not even thought, but but has been, you know, in conversations for the last at least, you know, 15, 20 years, maybe not in the 80s, but at least now in recent in recent times and called it out, put it out there in front of your face, you know, set it in the lines um, in the in the dialogue and either made fun of it or just called it out for what it is. And even if it's just for a moment, they've addressed it and then they, they move on the things that they, I mean, belabor is a wrong term, but the things that they, they focus on are the things that are more vital, more important. And, and that would be more effective for an overall script and, and focus of the film. And I mean, that is that image is a huge aspect that they address in this film that they focus on a lot and, as they should. I, I love these moments of the, the one moment where they break the fourth wall and they have the narrator come in and say, and say, you know, Margot Robbie is just for clarification, Margot Robbie is not the right person <laughs> to cast to look bad at any moment in this film or something. They say something like that. So anyway, I absolutely adored it. I don't want to go on a soapbox because I want to hear from Hannah. I want to hear from US. I thought that probably 95% of it was fantastic. There were a few moments where I was taken out of it. I thought mm-hmm. that the um, and and Jenny, my wife, agreed. I thought that the monologue that the mom did was kind of weak and didn't really. I mean, the whole rest of the film was so smart and uh, and so like thought out and had double meaning that I felt like I wanted that from a monologue. If there was a monologue that was going to happen, mm-hmm. which I feel like this movie needed, I feel like it needed that moment. Um, I just felt a little bit, I don't know if it was performance or if it was the writing. I'm not sure. Knowing Greta Gerwig, it was probably the performance because the writing is always like top notch. So I'm just sitting there watching this and I'm thinking, ah, they probably could have gotten a better performance from her because she's a great actress. And I just was taken out of it a lot during that. Hmm. But other than that, I thought everything else was such, so fun. And you never knew what the next line was going to be about or to, or bring or or like, you know, what was what what they were going to relate to the real world you know from the barbie world like it was just a lot of fun the addition of alan in there was fantastic <laughs> uh so yeah i loved the filmmaking i loved the uh the um the writing the acting everything was just so much so much fun hannah um same <laughs> did you grow up i don't know with barbie or uh the equivalent um or was that just like campfire fodder for you (laughs) and like yeah what did you think of the film because you reached out to me and said hey (laughs) please can i can i jump into this conversation um and so yeah i'm 
dying to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to struggle to, to keep this. <laughs> oh, <sure>. so <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to try and then maybe we'll just come back to, to different points. <clears throat> um, I did grow up with Barbie. Uh, I also grew up with American girl dolls. So <laughs> I grew up with a lot of dolls and I grew up with sisters. So I was the second of, uh, seven siblings and five of us are girls, two of us are boys. So there was a lot of Barbie energy. I also had friends who loved Barbie. And so you had me, a lot of weird Barbies. Um, in, in the, uh, yeah. in the <laughs> I had a, I had at least a few weird Barbies <laughs> for sure. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know if they were that weird though. I think that they were maybe like, they're valiant effort Barbies. Like <laughs> they, they had a, a semi-decent haircut. It wasn't quite terrible, but you know, I might just be blocking those out, like trauma blocking them out. <laughs> they're probably somewhere in the, in the back of my head. They, they did exist. Um, but I did have Barbies and I was talking to a friend of mine about like the idea of being a girl and like having that, playtime almost and how like girls as they grow are kind of pushed a little bit sooner to to grow out of the like playtime era of their life like that's not their hobbies and their crafts and their things that when they're adults they look pretty different than when they were younger and one of those being like dolls and not that I have any desire to play with dolls as an adult but I think that just the energy behind playing with dolls and like what that was. There's so many layers to that, that I would love to unpack, but I, I kind of grew out of dolls in an interesting way as I was thinking about this, because I liked Barbies, but there was just something that was there. I had like a disconnect and I don't know if it was, it was too materialistic. I wasn't like a very materialistic kid. Um, I started to gravitate more towards animals and an interest in like safari and nature. And I wanted to be a vet and all of these things. And so I kind of leaned away from that girly girl, which that's a whole thing, but you know, you're either a girly girl or you're a tomboy and there's no like in between when you're growing up. And I think that's crazy, but I was not a girly girl. And so I was tomboy. So there was almost this natural reaction for me to kind of like get like lean away from that and not play with the dolls. And that just wasn't part of my childhood anymore. Um, I still had friends who played with dolls when I wasn't, and I kind of just lost an interest in that. And I never really thought about it until this movie. But then I also think watching this has like sparked part of me being a, a queer person and having that almost anti-hyper-feminine like concept within me somewhere buried deep within like you can't be queer and also be hyper-feminine because if you're too feminine then you're not queer enough and then all of those layers kind of unpacked mm -hmm. as I was watching this and thinking about when it was that I stopped playing with Barbies and why I stopped playing with Barbies. So this film has a lot of <laughs> significance to me and importance to me that I think it hits different people in different ways. It hits parents in different ways and it hits somebody like me who's not a parent, but I am an aunt and I grew up with siblings and I like, I know the, the struggle as a young person, whatever, however you grew up to like 
find yourself and what that like journey looks like in the era of Barbie in the in the age of Barbie. And yeah, the monologue I I agree with you Todd on that that it kind of lost me a little bit, but I've also seen so many people talk about that that was like one of the most impactful parts of the film. And I think it's largely because a lot of people went into it expecting something very light and very like they didn't quite know what to expect and so going into it the people who I think weren't expecting it to hit as hard that monologue really resonated with them because they weren't looking necessarily for the the double meanings and kind of like the buried messages and so that very direct blunt monologue that didn't quite have as much to carry it I think it hit it hit the right audience. Everything about the film hit different people in different ways. And I loved it. I loved every bit of it. The anti, the anti-man thing. It's, it's just as much for men as it is for women. This film, in my opinion, a thousand percent. Couldn't agree more. I loved it. Yeah. I'll stop rambling. (laughs) So (laughs) we can, no, so we can ramble more later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Couldn't agree more. So we can start later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, same. I think, I mean, I grew up with uh, a sister and she had, you know, her share of Barbie dolls and all kinds of stuffed animals and dolls. And I played with all of them. I didn't care. I was always that weird person, I guess, that I just liked what I liked and I was never going to be the person who was going to act like I didn't like what I liked. Yeah. Um, And so for me, and I got shit, you know, my whole childhood was just me getting shit for being myself. <laughs> and so like playing with a doll for whatever uh, a day or playing with my friends, my, you know, little female friends uh, as we play house or whatever, I didn't care. It was all fun for me um, because as it's no secret now, like imagination is so cool. Kind of like what you were saying, Hannah, it's like play, you do so much with play. You get to experience so many things and so many ideas. And, and that was all part and parcel for me we certainly had a lot of weird Barbies because as much as that part was, you know, me, I was also still a boy, uh, a boy's boy. And, um, all that, you know, male energy was channeled straight into some of those weird Barbies where firecrackers galore. I was going to blow them up, melt them. Like we had so many weird Barbies. You were Sid from Toy Story. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I was a destructive little force as well. And so, yeah, walking into this, I expected, I didn't know what to expect. I definitely expected something unexpected, like going into, if this were any other filmmaker going into a, a, a toy based film, I would have been like, no way in hell am I ever going to go watch whatever GI Joe, mm-hmm. right? Because I know what that is without even having to watch the trailer. Um, but because I knew Greta Gerwig was directing this, I was like, of course I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch everything Greta Gerwig makes. We've made it no (laughs) secret on this podcast that we think she can make pretty much every film better. (laughs) Like that's, that's our running star Wars, please Greta, please. (laughs) My God. (laughs) And so watching this, I, I knew this was going to be headsy. I didn't know what level of play versus, you know, wit and thought uh, that balance was going to be like. And I definitely didn't come in expecting like the an interesting patriarchal, you know, conversation. I think I expected a lot of conversation about, you know, womanhood and uh, maybe some concept of coming of age and what does it mean to be a woman today? 
all that stuff I expected. Uh, but the layers that she came in with, I was like, oh, this is cool uh, because it's thoughtful. That's the other cool thing about someone like her, especially writing with, you know, Noah Baumbach, um, mm-hmm. because they're just really smart, sharp people and they're not going to. I don't know, kowtow to anyone like they're not interested in necessarily being on any particular side. They're they They always come off as interested in just reality. What is reality? What's the best way that we can talk about it and acknowledge all the various, you know, aspects of any given subject or, or idea. I mean, go watch little women, go watch lady bird. And these are very complex people. Um, mm-hmm. even though those are still heavily, you know, centered on women, they don't do short shrift to the guys in there. Um, and the guys play a specific part and, and she's just not afraid to let something be what it is. Um, like, you know, there's a character in lady bird who's a dude and who's an ass and she's not afraid to let a teenage boy be an ass just because, you know, she's a woman writing for a male character. doesn't mean she's going to shy away from calling a thing, a thing. And that's the kind of stuff that I really respect. And it's hard in today's culture to step aside and say, Okay, I'm a guy, Wes, who writes a lot of women characters. I could not do that and be kind of a dishonest storyteller, or I could do that and do it in a way that I think represents whatever, like a person. Um, Because also, you know, at some point I expect she's going to make something that isn't heavily woman-centered, and she's going to do a great job at that too, because Mm -hmm. she's just thoughtful in all these ways. And so coming in, I... Didn't know what to expect. Walking away, I was like, that was a lot of fun. Um, it's it's big humor, uh, a lot of silliness. I don't think that was what I fully expected was the style, because this was a very different style um, that she hasn't played with before, pun not intended there. Uh, but, you know, just to see her play with, you know, big comedy um, and, and childish humor and it was impossible. This is an impossible movie to make. Like if you, if you sit and think about all the things that she had to do, right. Uh, make it appeal to kids, but smart enough for adults, make sure the jokes work for kids and for a broad audience and are edgy, but not overly edgy and obvious to kids. Uh, but with layers of wit for the nerds, right. Uh, Proust, uh, come back to that. Uh, make it empowering, but make it fun and kitschy and throw in some musical numbers and, uh, throw in something for guys. Let's not make sure, you know, that the, the little boys who show up don't have anything for them. Um, and make sure it all works seamlessly in a narrative that runs short enough for a kid to sit through and do all of that completely evenly for 90, 100 minutes so that nobody gets bored in the process. That's the monologue. <laughs> right? like it's, it's an impossible task that she had in front of her and to walk away uh, with what she did is mind numbing. Like, I just cannot believe she pulled it up, pulled this off the way she did. And yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you um, actually about the monologue, the impossible to be a woman monologue uh, is the way I labeled it. Because sitting and listening to it, at first I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a couple of lines where I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, because maybe maybe it's not all objectively true, right? There's this line in there where everything is your fault. You know, I, whatever. It That's not the point. It, because it feels true. 
and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what Gloria is saying, right, is actually fairly universal. Like, I feel like I have to be perfect all the time. Um, I can't say how I really feel or really get upset because if I do, then you uh, won't talk to me anymore or uh, you won't fight through it. You won't stick around and deal with it. I feel like I can't make any mistakes. That's so universal and that's okay. But the target audience here is what really you have to circle back mm-hmm. to and remember, because that really does matter here. Um, this is aimed at women and it's talk about talking about the experience of being a woman in modern society from the perspective. Um, and that's okay. I can sit and listen to someone else's experience. And, um, and for the most part, like there are certainly some women that, you know, listen to that and was like, eh, okay, that's, I don't know if that fits with the rest of the movie, whether or not she's saying may not be, the most pertinent part of that or not. I don't know. But if you actually just sit in the audience and listen and look around, you'll see and hear a lot of nodding and agreements. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's like some dude getting his elbows, uh, ribs bruised. Right. Uh, and that's okay. Like, I think that's, I, I can live with that, you know, having a moment of just frustration because we all have that. That's the universal aspect. And Greta knowing that she's writing for a specific audience and, probably just writing how she feels why not just freaking go for it um yeah i thought that that was an interesting moment um but for me the best parts were probably all the other stuff around it um and i'll I'll certainly come back to that but uh the music i thought was also pretty cool for one dropping in tame impala out of nowhere was just like (laughs) whoa yeah, man. What? Okay. <laughs> that struck me as like, as a director, sometimes you get to make a wish list of yes, who do I want to work with? Who do I want to cast? Um, who's going to light it? Rod- Rodrigo Prieto, like shooting this is probably like a dream. I don't know that there was a lot for him to actually do in this. Like the yeah, just like everything equal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like, no shadows. Me, this, this is more of a set designer's dream yeah. uh, necessarily than a, a cinematographer's dream, but not to say that he didn't put his touch on it, but it's, it's big box, right? This is a big box movie, um, so to speak. And so, yeah, I don't know. Um, the music, good musical numbers. Did y'all have any big reactions to like, uh, dance the night away, um, scene or any of that? Like Ken, Ken gets his own big dance number. Um, I thought no. that was pretty fun. My, that was probably my favorite part. <laughs> I unashamedly yeah. listened to that song, <laughs> like in the shower. I love it. <laughs> I love that song. Uh, I, I mean, I I adore the Billie Eilish song. I mean, I listen to it on repeat. It's absolutely brilliant. I, that Billie Eilish and her brother are some of the best songwriters in the last twenty years, thirty years. Like, really unbelievable. I, I know. Greta went to her and said, I, I want this to be a theme song for Barbie, a love song mm-hmm. for Barbie. And it absolutely is. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, it's they're unbelievably perfect. And her melody is so delicate and per- and gorgeous. It's it's flawless. And I knew it was her the second I heard it at the end, I, even though I didn't even know that she did a song for it. But when I when I heard it, I was like, that is abs- that's Billy. I've been in love with Billie Eilish for like a long time. And and I, I loved that, but th- the music throughout, I thought was fantastic. The use of, of, you know, kind of like older songs, older, not that old, but okay. older songs. And it, it, like you said, it felt like, it felt like a <laughs> Greta just made a playlist and said, we're going to throw all of these in this, in the movie, wherever I feel like I want to put it. And 
And that's what happened. Why not? You know? Absolutely. And it's impressive because every needle drop also serves a story. It was yep. never, nothing happened that was superfluous here. It's a very tightly wound movie. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. Like you could have easily made that opening number not really count, but you know, she used the the rule of repeats, right? We're going to open on this song and this perfect day in Barbie land. We're going to show everyone what a normal perfect day looks like so that we can circle back to it and then break it. Mm-hmm. And now we can begin our story. Um, and this is very, I don't know, typical of a lot of films that start you in. I think this is kind of the hero's journey or the circle storytelling method where we're, we're going to begin by showing you what life is um, supposed to be like before we introduce the thing, right? The, the, the distress call or the call to adventure or whatever it is. Um, and she does that, you know, perfectly because it's so entertaining how many films have we sat through where people do that and you don't learn anything useful? They don't really use it to its maximum uh, potential, but every needle drop here serves an absolute uh, uh, purpose. And I was just really impressed. Um, just nothing wasted. This was a use it all, you know, effort that, yeah, I, I was crazy about it. Uh, I, would, I do want to hear more from uh, you, Hannah. You said you had some other thoughts and, and rants or ramblings. I, um, and I want Already? both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see. Where, where do I even start on this? I think it is important to talk also about the the element of like men's mental health mm. in this because – you, you see Ken, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you see, like, you see Ken throughout, and you know he's he's the he's the anti he's the he's the guy you don't really want to root for, but you're like, but why? Like Ken was never like the problem when I was playing with Barbies, but like it's what he you know brought back from the real world, and he wasn't really problematic at first. It was once he was exposed to those things, and he like soaked it all in like a sponge like kids do and he brought it back to barbie lane that's when it started to become a problem and it's you know they do they do they have space to talk about these things do they have support to talk about these things do they have room to say like i don't you know i i I feel like i saw ken as like a teenager in a lot of places like that kind of boyish like it was def- there was definitely parts of him and his relationship to Barbie like you don't want you like you it's offensive <laughs> like she does not want to be with you like just this has to be like this isn't a romance just like be your own person but like no one was talking to him about that and like he wasn't talking about that until the very end and I think that the whole concept of you know in the real world what the patriarchy is and it's it's there's like silly elements to it but it's all very real it ties in very in a very real way and i I think that in the dialogue between barbie and ken of like ken finding himself was probably one of the most significant parts of the movie to me that alone regardless of all of the other things in the movie that point to being anti the patriarchy versus anti-man um just that dialogue alone i think is enough i would say for someone to look at that and be like oh okay this this is for me too this is for me to acknowledge like i am someone outside of my marriage my role my job my my kids my career my like 
having to be this this man and what does that even mean um the fact that he like starts to cry on the bed and she's like it's okay to cry and it seems so silly to like to see that on screen that someone to say that to another like a character to say that to another character but it's necessary because there's so many boys and and kids that are raised you know not to and to not cry and to not show those emotions and to not be vulnerable and to not be to be real like that and they are enough and i just that's i love that i love <laughs> like ken's story that's <laughs> great yeah but, I, I love that you brought that up uh i, I think that's super important too and you're right I, it the whole movie doesn't need that center or like it doesn't need to have threads of that throughout the movie you can have one little scene of his his just having this moment of being completely vulnerable and explaining his issue at the end of him saying it's barbie and ken it's not ken you mm-hmm. know and and, and if he doesn't know his place he doesn't have a place and as long as you identify that then it's kind of hard to call this an anti-man movie you yeah. know it's like no he has his moment and he fi- he's able to find himself and and yeah and this it, it there is a stigma um you know with men now that you you just have to be you have to be strong and i think less nowadays i think it's 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 more accepted nowadays to be more emotional mm-hmm. as a man and and it's not shunned as much as it was you know like um you know a few decades ago um but still it's it's there and you feel it as as an aura i mean there's there's a um i'm a big fan of block party and they have a a line in one of their songs that says being a man made me coarse when i wanted to be delicate and i think that that is really it's really telling when you you don't even know it's it's you don't even know that you're trying that you want to be delicate because you're taught to be strong as a man and the word strong means physically strong to anybody we like growing up unless you're taught that no it can mean emotionally strong which can mean being vulnerable mm-hmm. and they give him that moment of being vulnerable at the end and that i related i it was like it was a very relatable moment for me you know uh cuz that's that's very much how i grew up too and to have to allow him to be the villain, but then to, I guess, in, in one line or in one scene, get a backstory of an, an emotional backstory of his character mm-hmm. and then to also have it resolved. Yeah. It was just brilliant writing. It was fantastic. Yeah. Good, good. Really good point. Yeah. yeah I, I loved. Go ahead, Wes. I loved all the, the, the guys in the film, the Kins, because they're still just guys. They're just in a subordinate role. And that's really tricky to do because so like the beach off joke, right? Is it's ripe with testosterone. And so the guys aren't acting like women or feminized into this. It's not a gender reversal. It's, it's, it's a role reversal. They're just, it's guys if they'd grown up in a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. And so you could watch the whole film thinking about Ken and watching how Ken's acting and just imagine, you know, instead that's women. That's this, you're watching women, you know, and that will, that's an interesting way to view it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and walk away with some, some of these lessons and some of these ideas and thoughts. Um, and so for kids, they want to get physical when they're upset. 
right? Ken still wants Barbie in a mannish way, even though he's feeling unempowered and unsure of himself and unconfident. Um, and of course, Ken is a simpleton, right? Horses are, they're man extenders. <laughs> I, I, what? It's so, so random. I love good. it. <laughs> um, and then of course, like Kingdom Mojo Dojo Casa House is exactly what you'd expect to happen if a group of people were held down, bullied, forgotten, uncared for, um, once they got invested in the fight, right? It becomes a toxic fight for dominance instead of uh, equality in a way to, to see how can we make mm -hmm. each other's lives better and equally contribute. Um, and so seeing them, you know, go through this whole roller coaster is really good. And of course, they get their big dance number, uh, which happens after they're fighting. They were fighting and then suddenly they just found unity. And it's so seamless and nonsensical, but because of the way she made it, it feels right. That's like impossible to do in film. Like yeah. how many times have I called out like that transition didn't make sense? <laughs> like, and, and here I was like, yeah, I don't know why it just does. It makes sense. It works. <laughs> um, and that just is a credit to the, the directing there. Um, and they were fighting and now they're, they're coming together. They're holding hands, right? They don't have to be enemies after all, which again, if you're looking at that from the standpoint of this is a representation of women, um, is really fascinating. Um, and when mm -hmm. Ken says, right, we were fighting because we didn't know who we were. Um, and it's this bigger message that is for everybody. When your identity is coming from external sources, like Hannah is saying, like whether it's being a spouse or an SO or a fixture in someone else's life or something else, right. Then you're, you're just going to fight to keep your pedestal instead of making space for others and the life that you've built for yourself and the identity that comes from within. That's a completely different way to engage with the people around you. And it's so much uh, less destructive. Um, it's easy to tear mm -hmm. things down. It's really, really hard to build things. Um, and that's what Ken is going to have to figure out, you know, in his journey from here, because he hasn't gotten there yet, but he's going to have to get there. Um, yeah. Sorry, Hannah, I, I cut you off. No, you didn't. You didn't. Oh. You're feeding it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. Yeah, I think flipping how you see the film highlights the way it it showcases the need for empathy. The mm. monologue being something that resonates more with women, even the elbow nudge like to the, you know, the significant other, the guy in the room in the theater, like she's elbowing him, you know, for a reason. Like there's there is a need for that understanding and empathy that we all go through something like this, this type of journey, these types of struggles. And that, that is an every one thing. It's not an anti anything. Yeah. It's, it's for everyone. And that's that, that in the most weird and ironic way is Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and how perfect is the ending? Yeah. <laughs> from, a, from a guy to, yes. from a, to hearing from a girl, like, you think she's going to the to like interview <laughs> for a job and like no no <laughs> something something much no. more uh much more important right uh, and yeah. exciting right and, and i just love how excited she is and how like I, I mean i don't i don't know but how most women are just like not really excited to go to a gynecologist right and how, but how she's just so innocent and excited that this is because she didn't have a vagina before yeah. right <laughs> this, i just thought it was perfect I loved that. I think it's it was hilarious for it to be the gynecologist and nodding back to the yeah, and I don't have a vagina. <laughs> yes, she finally does. She's a real woman. Um, but 
also it's not a job interview. It's not anything that's mm. putting her anywhere back into that patriarchal system in the real world in any kind of way. Like you're not the, the closure is not that she's now she's a woman and she's going to work and she's no, she's going to a gynecologist appointment. Like that's just she's tending woman. to herself in some yeah. like very necessary way that also isn't really talked about like it should be amongst women or just like in society in general um just that topic alone so yeah i i the ending was perfect for me yeah. I thought so <laughs> the too. laughs in the theater are <laughs> great. and how did you guys feel about the um first off if we could just for a second talk about the acting and how how margot robbie well and and um uh what's this What's his name? I'm so bad with names. Ryan you Gosling. Know this if you listen to thank Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah. How great. Like this, this is not even, even though you're, you know, you're playing a doll and you're like, you know, like happy with, this is not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. and, and in moments notice you have to go, like she goes from happy and, or, or just, you know, thinking to sitting on that, that, that bench talking to that woman. And then she, and she has a tear and, and so anyway, so the acting is phenomenal to me. I think it's amazing, but, I want to know what you guys felt or thought about the interaction with her, her, um, her maker, you know, that, that, I mean, they have a couple of scenes together, but the one where she pulls, uh, Barbie aside and they go into that just infinite infinity screen, mm -hmm. uh, infinite room, which is just gorgeous by the way. Um, and I love how that you don't question how they got there. They're just there, you know, it's just one of those, where did the T-Rex come from moments, uh, that I, I love when it's done right. Um, in movies where you just kind of don't think about it. But what did, what did you guys think about that, that interaction? Me first? Or uh, yeah, you first. <laughs> You're always first. Um, I always first. Ladies first. <laughs> uh, I The first time I saw it, so I went to see this twice in theater. The first time I saw it, I, tr I was trying not to cry so that I could just like pay attention to what was happening. The second time I definitely cried. It was just... I think that it was interesting to watch a character with a desire, such a desire to be human. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, like makes you just realize and, and very, be very aware that you are the thing that she wants to be. And the montage of all of the flashbacks and different footage of different people and all these different places and lives. It was it was a very overwhelming scene, even though it seemed it was so simple and it's set up. You know, they're just here in this infinite room. For me, it was it was overwhelming, like to to recognize humanness mm -hmm. and in that part of the film, particularly just where it fell and just in the cadence of the film. I loved it. I think it was really impactful. I think as as you're watching the stereotypical Barbie, I think the the whole time, the first time I watched it, I was wondering what what was going to become of the stereotypical Barbie, because you don't want to see her in some kind of romantic ending with Ken. That's not Great Barbie. Point. Yeah, you you don't want to see her. You don't really know how you want to see her end up. You know, you don't want that, and maybe you don't <laughs> want a couple of other things. And they nod specifically to to not that. But to see her as she's kind of unboxing herself, <laughs> so to speak, throughout the movie, the want like that desire as she sits on the bench and she's crying and she's crying at like just hum mm -hmm. what it is to be human, but doesn't really know it yet. And then she finds that. And I think stereotypical Barbie 
is one to retire in many ways and um, to kind of take what, like as a girl and you're playing with a Barbie, you are the human. You want to be like the doll in this very toxic way. That stereotypical Barbie is the doll that you shouldn't want to be. It's unattainable. It's crazy. Um, so there was something healing about watching stereotypical Barbie want to become human. And I think it was the perfect way to kind of close that off for the girls who looked at stereotypical Barbie and thought like, I don't want to be you anymore. Well, I love that. And they she call doesn't want to be her. Yeah. I love that. They call her stereotypical. Yeah. Like not normal, not right. average, not whatever, not, you know, I don't know, basic that whatever, Yeah. but just, they call her this thing that like, nobody wants to be stereotypical. Yeah. Right. Uh, so if you, if you give her a title where that nobody really wants to be, but she is like Margot Robbie, then it's, it's not something to, to achieve. You don't achieve stereotypicality. Yeah. That's a word. Anyway, Wes. Yeah. So just to linger on that for another second, like, I think this is where the pop culture references really add a layer that maybe, I don't know if people are really catching this or not, but um, the intro is a 2001 reference and I'm not going to go deep into 2001, but uh, it's interesting, right? You have these girls listlessly playing with baby dolls, right? And then what happens? A Barbie monolith appears mm -hmm. and the girls smash their dolls. Um, and of course, one throws one up uh, into this match cut uh, to the Barbie title and Again, without getting into 2001, uh, which we're going to be doing later at some point. But monoliths are a really interesting idea to inject into this story because, you know, monolithic being this idea that all things are, uh, are one thing, right? Not all men are a monolith, right? If you want to take out your anger at, you know, the white men. I can't do that for you. Like I'm just not, I'm, we're not a monolith. And in that exact same way, women aren't a monolith and Barbie at the beginning appears to all these little girls as a monolith. That's the whole, you know, subversion of what's happening here. Mm -hmm. uh, 2001 is a whole story told through the use of monoliths. And so this monolith appears at the beginning as Barbie, but at the end, she is no longer representing a monolith of, of women. Um, and now instead, she represents an open-ended work in progress. Uh, and that's just a really beautiful way to help tell your story in a way that uh, is probably going to slide by most of you. I don't know how many people uh, have really seen 2001 in the first place, uh, let alone, you know, can tease out some of the, the, the subtler meanings of it. Um, but I love that. I mean, there's also, um, uh, just to finish the thought, this Matrix reference that happens, you know, early on after she goes through her weird day and uh, goes to meet Weird Barbie. And Weird Barbie gives stereotypical Barbie a Matrix-like choice, right? Heels or flats? <laughs> right? Can I say something? Please. Can I say, literally three days before that, my wife just bought some Birkenstock. <laughs> I'm not lying. We we start we laughed out loud so loud in the theater. We were I had to look around. Hopefully I didn't annoy anybody. It was so it was perfect timing. So anyway, go ahead. It's so good. But it's very useful, I think, to to use pop culture references as a shorthand to tell a big complex story, right? We don't need in this in Barbie, 
We don't need total originality. If anything, you want the exact opposite. Um, you want to see how all these commercial aspects fit together. And so using all of pop culture as a storytelling device uh, is really useful because it fits the commercial side and also helps tell the story. Um, it's a shorthand. It's a way to kind of get the audience into an idea without having to belabor, you know, any given aspect of the plot. Uh, so it's just really smart use. And I'm sure there's a thousand other, you know, references to pop culture that I just didn't catch. Um, I was in the theater last night, like I was hand was cramping. I was running out of ink. I was like, there's just too much going on here. Um, but Ruth, my God, that, so Todd, if your favorite moment is, uh, the bench moment. My favorite moment is the first time she runs into Ruth. Um, it's so peaceful. It's beautiful. And as you get to know Ruth, which is interesting, you get to know her almost through silence. Ruth is okay with imperfection and complexity and messiness. And Barbie and us, uh, we feel okay because of that. Even though we were just in this really crazy, kooky chase sequence um and we really need to go we gotta you know get going and, and, and escape um we're actually okay despite all of that happening around us because ruth's energy makes us okay and that's a really beautiful and i think i read that they wanted to cut that scene and she had to really fight to keep it in there and i was like what no this is this is every show you um, like yeah, yeah like it, not executives don't always know everything just get out of the way put it lightly yeah <laughs> um but I love it because later on in the film, um, whenever we have that moment between Ken and Barbie uh, that you were talking about earlier, like it's amazing because uh, Ken is feeling upset about his place in the world. And what does Barbie do? She just listens, just like Ruth. It's this beautiful little, you know, touch this this energy that starts to kind of seep through everyone after meeting Ruth. Um, but of course, we know what is Barbie after this whole experience of confronting her actual impact on the real world. She got to live in her dreamland, Barbie land, and then got confronted with reality and was like, I can't go back. What do I do? And Ruth says humans make up ideas like patriarchy and Barbie just to deal with how com uncomfortable life is. And then we die. <laughs> like, it's, like, that's that's what you have to look forward to now, Barbie. Because early in the film, right, she's talking about how every day is going to be a great day, the same amazing day forever and ever and ever. And now it's like, no, you're going to die now, now that you've experienced uh, the the apple, you know. And it's, it's beautiful. We fade into that montage of all the home footage of women living real lives. Uh, it's beautiful. It's real. It's melancholy. And Barbie chooses to to join the real world. And I love if if you're really paying attention and that shot for shot, you know, transition, she goes from wearing wedges with Ruth um, into like Birkenstocks. Uh, she goes from heels to flats. And of course, they do a nice big close up of the Birkenstocks to see to, to emphasize that. But if you're also paying to the previous scene, you'll see that she was already she was she went back to heels um and so that was still part of her identity and maybe to hannah's point like maybe she's both at the end of the day and that's that's cool too if if we saw another scene maybe she's back in heels because she she contains multitudes <laughs> she can be whatever she wants yeah i think performance wise uh because you threw that out there as well todd i loved it i would say on the whole i probably laughed more at ken just everything he was doing, we didn't really need much out of Ken. <laughs> so he got the freedom <laughs> to be ridiculous. Um, I was cracking up, not just at Ryan Gosling, but uh, Kingsley, uh, Ben Adir. I thought he Sarah. was... 
amazing. <laughs> like yeah. that dude. Oh, and Michael Sarah was hilarious too. Uh, but Kingsley, I thought he was doing all the, for someone who didn't have a lot of dialogue, he mm. was doing a lot with his physical acting. Mm-hmm. And the, the really cool thing is a lot of these actors, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Kingsley, like these are dramatic actors doing a comedy. And so I think she did a great job of utilizing her, their dramatic, you know, skill set without sacrificing the comedy of the film. That's a wild like line to walk because the performances are really, really big. It's all over the top. Uh, the jokes are big. The performances are huge. There's big pauses, right? The the chase sequence. There's all this kind of faux running. Pump the arms and legs and knees are going up to your chin, <laughs> and like we do when we when we all play pretend, right? And that physical and that style uh, of humor says that everything is completely safe here. There's not going to be any real threat of violence or people being hurt. Um, you're in safe hands, but it also makes those emotional and real moments feel that much more grounded and sensitive. Um, whenever you drop all of that bigness and suddenly it's very, very intimate. And so she can, she killed Margot Robbie. She deserves a nomination. Like it's probably a little wild. I I don't think I I get a lot of pushback out there. But if you had said before going in, like Barbie is going to be uh, an Oscar qualifier, people would probably be like, yeah, I'm I'm sure it'll be fun. But let's let's you know hold the applause a little bit. But her moments, whenever she really goes for it, like the breakdown after discovering Barbie Land is wrecked. That's a really really good moment. There's all these genuine emotions that are comedic in nature. Um, but she plays it all the way. She's fully upset. She's muffling her words. Um, she's crying. Um, even if the tears don't necessarily fall, you can see it welling up in her eyes. And, um, and she just kind of gives up, right? Uh, the, the physical gestures. It's huge. It's so big. And, um, and it's very, very genuine. And I love that she's letting the script do all the comedy here. She's just going to play the real emotional stakes that Barbie is feeling. And doing that, I think, really heightens the comedy, because if you can just commit to your part, the context will give the humor. But you really need to commit to being upset and frustrated because your world is disappearing. It's gone. You know, how would you actually feel? That's how you actually feel. You you fall down and you give up and you roll over (laughs) like that's that's a real emotion. Um, And that's part of the writing, of course. But uh, Margot you know, pushing all the way there. Uh, it could have been tempting, I think, to play into the humor instead of just playing into the emotion. Um, and and that's that's great acting to me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'll run through a couple more notes and y'all jump in. If you want to jump in now, you're more than welcome, of course. But the, the last few notes I have, um, uh, story and writing wise, geez, I've gone through all that, haven't I? I try to seamlessly work in my notes whenever I can. Um, and Gloria and Sasha is one that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and so there's the mom and daughter, you know, aspect of this. Sasha, when she meets Barbie, has this really light pushback on Barbie being a real Barbie doll. And then she just fully buys in. She goes for it. And I love that. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the fan- on the uh, fantastical elements here. We're all playing pretend once we're asked to. That's how you play pretend. Um, And because that's just how you play with dolls, it makes sense, right? It would be weird to actually belabor the idea of Barbie coming to life. And so we spend almost zero time at all, like being confounded by this. Instead, it's just like, you're what? 
okay, fine. And then we're in, we're off to it. Uh, and I love that. Um, and Sasha as a character, and that's a great introduction to her because she's so jaded and pessimistic. Um, and she tears Barbie apart. Right. And then in the car, when they save Barbie, uh, she's trying to explain to Barbie that the world hates men and women hate women and men hate women. And it's all completely screwed. Um, and then mom is like, eh, well, it's, it is complicated, but we're not doomed. Um, and that dynamic is so critical to, you know, the, the second half of the film, um, because Gloria decides to then take Sasha to Barbie land because she knows Sasha needs a dose of hope, which is what Barbie is promising, uh, an awesome world run by women who thrive and love each other. Uh, and then of course, when it turns out Ken has completely ruined Barbie land and it's all hopeless, just like Sasha said it was, it's Sasha who wants to save Barbie land. She's doing for her mom what her mom was trying to do for her. It's very synergistic. It's women helping women and uplifting each other and reminding each other of hope and the goal and what we're all trying to do. Um, and that's just a really beautiful kind of uh, balanced approach to, uh, first of all, family and like a mother-daughter aspect. You, you, you don't want the mom to just kind of put her finger in her daughter's face the whole film um, and, and having a moment where Sasha actually gets to, I get to save the day. Cool, let's do that. What did you think about Gloria, Sasha, and of course, Gloria wanting just an ordinary Barbie, um, which after hearing it'll be profitable, uh, the Mattel was all excited about. Um, and that, which also seems very rude to me, right? Uh, she just wants a Barbie who's okay with just existing, you know? How about that? Yeah. What was your impression of Gloria and Sasha, uh, Hannah? Um, I, I think I... I'm on the same page as you. I think I loved seeing Sasha kind of soften a little bit, but not mm. lose her edge. I, I think that's very much like <laughs> me in a lot of ways. It was, you know, watching her kind of close off a little bit in the, in the flashbacks. I think when you realize that the perspective that Barbie was like kind of a, a peeking into the real world to try to find the person turned out to be Gloria and not Sasha. I, I enjoyed how they set that up a lot because it was kind of going back to what I said earlier about, you know, women, girls are expected to stop that playful nature at a certain point in life. Having it be Gloria that was playing with the Barbie, whether or not, you know, all the weird things were happening to her, like the existential things, because it was a grown woman, adult playing with the Barbie. She was still playing with the Barbie for the reasons that she was playing with the Barbie, which Sasha couldn't quite understand in, in that initial conversation. But then by the end of it, you know, is, is understanding of, of why her mom held on to a lot of those things and, and kept those things important and why she like what connections she really wanted with Sasha. And mm -hmm. you see Sasha kind of close off, you know, her mom's coming behind her at the table. She's like hiding away, which she's her like writings. And then, you know, the mom in turn, Gloria does that to Sasha in a way too. Like she doesn't think that Sasha notices the drawings that she does or pays any attention. So they kind of close off from each other and I think you tend to think, you know, the mom in those dynamics is always the one who's trying, hmm. but I think she also kind of closes Sasha off a little bit. And so they, they allow each other in by the end of it. And then it's Sasha who pushes Gloria to say, no, say, say the idea, tell them about the ordinary Barbie, you know? 
And even the the white savior line where she says after the mon- <laughs> <laughs> monologue and she's saw she says, oh, come on, white savior Barbie. And Barbie's like, no, that was your mom. And it's funny because it's the white savior. And that's funny. Yeah. But she, you know, she, she's like, oh, yeah, that was my mom. That, that was my mom. She's, and she kind of has, you know, that's my mom moments. And, you know, Gloria has those about Sasha and when they decide to go back and it's Sasha's idea and when they sing along to the Indigo Girls song together, just all of the little things that lead to, in the end, them coming to each other. Um, a doll can do that. <laughs> and that's what's crazy because in some capacity, like it can and it did and it does and it, it has for many of those dynamics in, in real life. Um, so it's interesting to watch that unfold in such a unique way that I haven't seen on screen before. I liked it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she she was Ugly Betty, by the way. I don't know if you guys yes. knew that. Yes. Yeah. Which is cool. <laughs> Why not? That That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect yeah. casting. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like. But I mean, she's done a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. She did like, I think, Dogtown and a bunch of other stuff. But mm-hmm. but um, so she's a great actress. I, I think, um, I mean, I loved the interaction. I loved when Barbie first met, see, bad with names, the daughter, uh, Sasha. Sasha first met Sasha and Sasha just like basically destroys her. It's, it's the idea of, you know, a teenage girl playing with Barbie. Like, why would I ever, you know, just, you know, I'm grown up. I'm not, you know, and then for that to get subverted, it's just a really, really great call out there. And I was trying to think of it. I think about it. And I think the, the, the reason why, the monologue kind of bothered me or it didn't bother me. It just like took me out of it. it was because I feel like I don't think that it was a writing thing. I feel like there were a couple of lines that were repeated or something. And, mm. and, and it was just, it just didn't feel right. It felt like maybe, maybe the cinematography should have changed a little bit to be more, more real worldy. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I'm not like trying to fix the movie or anything. It's just, it's just, it's just a shame for me and I need to go watch it a third time, but it's just a shame to me that like the entire movie is freaking amazing and perfect in every other way. And I just have this one moment where it just doesn't feel perfect. And I don't know how, you know, it's like, it's, it's for me, the, the, the monologue interstellar, it's like the, the same mm. thing. Monologues are so hard. And this one moment just makes the movie less than perfect for me. It like not, it's 99% instead of a hundred and it bothers the hell out of me. And so I just want to fix it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just want this to be absolutely perfect. Uh, and I, and I can't do it. So then I'm, but I also don't want to bend my opinion to make it a hundred percent at the same time. Yeah. But I, I thought that the, the relationship between, I, I think you said it perfectly, Hannah, that, that the, the daughter becomes the savior that the mother needed at times when the mother needs it. And it, it's such a great call out to real life where a lot of times as, as parents or just as individuals, whether you're a parent or not, you need a little push. You need somebody to say, wait a minute, take a breath, look at what's in front of you. Now do the next right thing. As Elsa famously said, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then, and then have somebody there in your corner to help push you in that direction. And sometimes it comes from someone who's quote unquote, less experienced or mm. younger or K 
can see the world in a different way than you do because you've because you are experienced and because maybe you're jaded from the world or 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 something that you went through in your in your life i think it's it's interesting we don't really see the dad um very much at all there's like one or there's like two shots of him mm-hmm. i think two yeah two um because it's not about him mm-hmm. you know and that's okay that's okay uh, we we don't need a, sto- a story or anything um he can just be there and existing and, and present but he's not a uh, it's not his fault any of this has happened but he's it's also not his place to fix it and so it's not his story it's their story together i think you said it beautifully hannah so yeah i also like that it's not sasha's response like her mom hasn't been her responsibility to like step in and be the savior like there is an opportunity there for sasha to be the savior but there really isn't any setup of like the daughter is the savior because she's had to be yeah dynamic she's chosen to be she chose her to be yeah the great point god all of this in in a hundred minutes crazy (laughs) it's impressive um yeah cinematography wise uh like the the most 90 percent like is wides 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 um and even mediums get kind of saved for these personal moments which then means you save the close-ups for the super important intimate moments like margot robbie having ex- her existential crisis at the end um like that's really important and the more you hold that stuff back the more you know it pays off whenever you finally use it because now you're really in someone's space and you're you're able to engage with her emotions and what she's feeling um whereas you could dilute that by going to it too often. And most of the shots are locked off or very simple dolly moves or maybe a simple crane move because you want to make sure what's happening on, on stage, on screen, it's very clear. It's very easy to follow. Um, and, of course, you get to show off all these cool sets. And so the the depth of field is super wide, nearly you know infinite. Um, and that makes sure, one, I guess it's easy to capture, but it's bright. It's very bright. It's very friendly. I can't imagine how bright some of those lights must have been because you want it to look bright, but then it also needs to be bright enough to, to light for this really deep exposure. Um, and so, yeah, that, that everyone must have been half blind walking off that set, like Wizard of Oz or something. It's And, uh, and come on, set design? How cool. Well, everything is like one-eighth you know, the size, it just like Barbie actually is. So the car is too small and the house is actually too small. It's so, so great. It's so good. Like the set design I, I love from a number of aspects. Uh, when they get to Venice Beach, like they use all these muted colors around Barbie and Ken so that they pop out more. Right. Um, and some of it's probably done in wardrobe, but I'm sure a lot happened in the color grade itself. Um, let's, you know, go frame by frame here and kind of dial back as much of the sky as we can. And and so whenever you see Ken and Barbie, they really do stick out in the frame. Um, it's, you know, that's they're It's like the sun suddenly is on the sidewalk. Um, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot going on. Um, the other thing, this is much more subtle, uh, is in that flashback sequence when Barbie's trying to figure out what where is my person? We go back to these memories with Gloria and Sasha in this house and the house is kind of run down. Um, the, the paint outside, right. Is this chipped white paint, but the blue trim is absolutely pristine. It's almost like fresh coat. 
And I like it because it lets us get the idea of their struggles in life without entirely clashing with the film itself. And so it's a great mix of imperfection with details that still pop in a Barbie kind of way um, because you're trying to find this balance of we're going to tell the story of these people um, without going too far one direction or the other. They they're representing reality. So we want it to feel like reality, but you can't go too far or else uh, you lose the aesthetic of your film. And that's a really delicate dance um, and just a really great job by uh, set design and, and, and Greta, you know, directing. Um, and of course, you know, the, the Mattel office is its own thing. And it's funny because you're in the real world, but it doesn't feel like the real world. Um, and so like the lower office is all blue. Um, and the top floor is a mix of pink and blue and shades between. And the CEO is wearing this pink tie. Um, and it's fun because you can add as many shades of pink as you want. There's still men running the company and all these superficial elements don't change it. And you can just feel their uh, mm -hmm. lip service through the set design. Um, and it's just a beautiful little flourish that you could lose. I mean, you could probably save some money by just shooting in an office or you could build it. <laughs> and You could really sell the idea um, and you just feel it. You feel the implications uh, as much as anything. Yeah. My last note, my last thought uh, circling back to the big, opening number um when we get to the end of the day right of uh, barbie land um which is both r like real barbie toys and also uh this real imaginary place in its representation of reality right it's this double entendre almost that she's making about barbie land um that yeah it's imaginary this is where you know, kids go when they play with Barbie. It's also imaginary in the way they think they represent reality. Uh, and that's just a beautiful double idea that, you know, is obviously touched on to, to put it mildly. Um, but what I also thought was interesting is you get to the end of that day and Barbie makes that big, you know, joke. The, the, do you guys think of death? Um, and, that is a big joke. I didn't laugh. Um, there was a, some laughing in the audience. For me, this is why I don't watch a lot of comedies is because I just, I can't handle like big on the nose humor like that. But it's a really important joke because it sets up the connection with Gloria. Um, we got to make sure we don't lose anyone in the bigger story. And so making that moment really important, right? Where the record skips and everything stops. You need that. You need to make sure no one in the audience from the, you know, the six-year-old through whatever the, the person chewing on their popcorn and, and checking their phone, make sure no one loses it. Um, don't pick up your phones in a movie, <laughs> <laughs> but you got to make sure it's not forgotten as a throwaway joke or a gag because it's actually critical to the story. And so you do need to play it up bigger. Um, and of course that doesn't, it's not apparent for me immediately, but it eventually becomes obvious. Like, oh, okay. I get why we had to go so big there, even though that's again, not my personal kind of humor. It's perfectly in tone with the film itself. Um, and is what you want out of, out of that moment. Um, yeah. So Todd has said his favorite moment. I've said mine, Hannah, I don't think we've heard what your favorite moment is. If you have one. Oh God. I, I feel like I, I have many, um, maybe just maybe the dialogue between Barbie and Ken, just to say a, a different one that I've, I have touched on. I appreciate that one for what it, what it is. And I think it kind of encompasses what I, what I hope a lot of people who are a little closed minded to this film kind of look at that. And also, 
Midge. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I was I was wondering if we were going to address Kate McKinnon. I will just quickly. No, Midge is the pregnant Jordan one. Midge is the pregnant one. That's no, right. Midge is the That's pregnant right. one. Oh, my no, God. Weird Barbie is great. Love yeah, Weird Barbie. Awesome. Weird Barbie is fantastic. <laughs> Midge, is, Midge is the Weird Barbie. I don't know if yeah. you ever have seen pregnant Barbie Midge in real life. Let me just say, I've heard a lot of opinions on like what, like why, why that's like a bash or whatever. But pregnant Barbie is effing weird. Okay, she's weird. She is weird. You don't want that doll. It's very no, strange. It was discontinued for doll. a reason. It, it's all kinds of odd. Okay, <laughs> why would just... why would you want a five year old girl, little girl playing you with don't. a? Like, come on. <laughs> you don't. And also, like, the Barbie is all the same. Right. The Barbie's the same. Then the belly is the only thing that changes. That in itself, we can just oh. talk about the fact that that just shouldn't be a thing because that's unrealistic and it's crazy to think that a woman is just going to, like, bloop, and then she's back to herself. <laughs> so, so I did see – I did watch it, it, like a video of someone actually you doing it, and, and then the stomach goes flat. Yes, it's ridiculous. Yes. Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Yes. Great point. So we're <laughs> uh, pregnant, Barbie. <laughs> just yeah. we're just gonna mm-hmm. go with for all reasons. It should. Yes, she should have been discontinued. It's not a bash on women who choose to have children. Obviously, one of the main characters is the daughter of a woman who has had a daughter. So we're not. Gonna- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. She needed to go. <laughs> My favorite little throwaway joke Barbie moment was the Proust Barbie. I was. <laughs> beside myself i i started laughing and then it was like wait maybe i did i hear that right proust barbie maybe they said something else and then i was like wait no but this is greta gerwig of course it's proust barbie um and i just mm-hmm. was out of it for like 30 seconds running that joke <laughs> through my head uh processing it because it was just so out of the blue and amazing um yeah so yeah and, uh, and yes kate mckinnon was fantastic like god absolutely perfect the splits I, every time she did the splits, I I burst into laughter every single time because, the, I mean, I'm sorry, as a boy, that's what I do to all my dolls. The first yes. thing is I make them do the splits, whether it's a He-Man, G.I. Joe, Barbie, it doesn't matter. And so she's like permanently in the splits. It's just fantastic. I think that one moment where they all hide at some yeah, point. She's, she's splitting just like, on the wall. It's just, I lost it. I just lost it. It was perfect. That's what happens when you oh. do the splits on the Barbie and then you throw it at something and it just stays. <laughs> yes, it, that, just, it just stays like that and now it's never going back. So, so good. Oh, nice. Oh. Well, Todd, uh, final thoughts, notes, observations? Uh, no, I think that we said it all. I don't have any other any other things to say. I, I'm, I'm just really thankful that, that Hannah has joined us and to get that perspective and, and uh, to hear her hear her thoughts there. It's just, uh, it's, it's refreshing. And I think it allowed, it also kind of, let's, let's be honest. We're two dudes talking about a movie that's, you know, very much focused on, on, on women and, and, uh, and everything. How dare so you, I think, sir? Yeah, I, th- I think it's <laughs> important you? to have that point of view, you know, and, uh, and yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much yeah. for joining us. Thank you guys. For yeah. Final thoughts, anything you haven't touched on that you want to cover? Um, I, I've I've heard criticisms of like Mattel profiting so like you know the way that they will profit so largely from this, but I have also seen and heard you know Greta and Margot going to them 
and them having all of these flags and concerns of like, oh, we can't do all of this long list of things. We need to stop doing the things that we're, we're considering doing. And basically, there were so many that they couldn't do anything about it. And they just kept going anyway. And I think it's, it's critical in the ways that it needs to be, you know, it, maybe it holds Mattel accountable to <laughs> be a little bit more diverse and acknowledge that along the journey of Barbie, there have been many mistakes and there's a lot to, to learn from. And consumerism and capitalism is always going to be a problem. So buy a doll if you want. And if it's Barbie, it's at least going to be better now, hopefully. So. Uh, nice. Well, that brings us to the recommendations. Uh, Todd, what are you going to recommend this week? So I, I don't really have anything that has anything to do with this, uh, to be honest. But I did watch recently a um, thing on Netflix. Uh, I'm I'm a big cyclist. I love cycling, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend. There's a a new uh, documentary on Mark Cavendish, one of the the greatest Tour de France riders of all time. He's he's um, matched Merckx's record of I think it's 34 stage wins in the Tour de France, which is like literally impossible to get. And, um, he's gone through a lot. Um, he's diagnosed with a disease that makes you chronically fatigued. Um, and for someone who does something incredible, like finishes Tour de France, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so anyway, it's called Mark Cavendish, never enough. And it's a documentary on Netflix. That's what I'm going to recommend, which sorry, it has nothing to do with Barbie, but that's just the way that it is. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, I see something and I want to tell people to go watch it. So it's interesting. Nice. Uh, Hannah, did you bring a recommendation? Um, I, I didn't, but I'm going to think of one now. Right. Um, well, you chew on it and, uh, I will throw mine out and then yeah. we'll come back to you. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'm on the fence. Like there's a book I read called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow that I thought was really good. And, but, uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast. It's called open to debate. Um, and it's just, debates for the most part like every once in a while it's just a conversation but uh, what I love about it is it's good faith debate and they make a really big point about listening and not you know doing this thing I don't watch mainstream news you know shows or whatever MSNBC or Fox like it's all they create more problems than they're actually there to uh, cover. Um, and that's so frustrating. And so I think if more people engaged in like good faith debates where you're actually listening to what someone else is saying and then responding to that instead of straw manning it um, and, and fighting against something that no one ever said in the first place, um, it's, it's so much more, you know, useful and uh, gets us to a place of understanding and mutual respect, I think. And so open debate does that. They take, a topic du jour or uh, something old and uh, make it fresh again. But it's just a really good job of good faith discussions where you might tune in and say, obviously I I'm, I'm on the for side or the against side. Um, and then through the course, you actually have to listen to other ideas. And that's what I think I find really, really valuable is every once in a while I'm pretty gray area. Like 
you're not gonna be able to pin me down on much <laughs> because uh, I, I'm pretty, you know, open to ideas and, and, and different things. Um, but sometimes I'll walk into an episode and it's like, yeah, obviously it's going to be this. And then, you know, I, but I'm forced to listen to ideas that I don't agree with. Um, and in that way, I think I expand my borders just a little bit more. Um, and that's the stuff that I find really valuable. Uh, yeah. So it's a podcast called open to debate, formerly called intelligence squared. Uh, and so some of the older episodes probably have some of that branding, but yeah, open to, open to debate podcast. Um, nice. cool. All right, Hannah, what do you got? Okay. So like contrary to, to <laughs> this concept of something, um, a little more in depth, I am going to also recommend a podcast. It's called ologies, um, uh, with Allie Ward. Have you heard of this? You're mm -hmm. nodding your head. Yeah. I sometimes, especially with my recent schedule, I like to have something that I, I'm receiving this knowledge in a very casual way. And she covers all of the ologies, different episodes are on, you know, different ologies. Um, penguinology, for example, is like a made up ology by this person <laughs> who studies penguins. But she she talks with experts on on different topics and just, you know, what, what they research and why they study it and and little factoids. It's one of those fun, like adult learning podcasts that doesn't feel like work necessarily. It's very, uh, very casual listening. I like to to turn it on in the car every now and again. Um, really, the the podcast that I listen to the most that is Hustle. But... <laughs> that's that's what I was waiting for. There you go. But they're already listening to this. We're blessed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but ologies, ologies with Allie Ward. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, stay tuned for next week. Uh, we are going to dive into the HBO limited series Chernobyl. Um, and we'll see what that's all about. Uh, it's a feel good story of the year <laughs> where everything, uh, <laughs> everything works beautiful. out perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, drop us a review, subscribe, uh, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about, uh, things you find interesting. Um, yeah, you can do that on this episode at thepestlepodcast.com slash Barbie, where you can also find all the ways that we can get in touch with Hannah, see some of her work, hire her. She is available locally in Georgia and also internationally, I'm sure, if you uh, asked her politely. Um, yes. Yeah. Where absolutely. can we find more from you, Hannah? Uh, Hannah-Hartman.com. Um, it can, I guess you guys can spell that out in yeah. the show notes. They can click that. That's my website. So inquiries can come through, um, there. I started an Instagram separate from my personal account, just for my photography. Um, it is still a baby Instagram, a little seedling. So my website's the best, the best place, I think. Nice. We will link both of those in the show notes. So I ask everyone to go check those out. She's a talented photographer who uh, does a lot of great work, both, you know, on the product side, but also uh, candid, casual, make you feel like the, the most beautiful person in the room as you are. Um, yeah. So check all that out at the, the pestlepodcast.com slash Barbie. Thank you. And our quote of the day is from Hedy Lamar. I must quit marrying men who feel inferior to me. Somewhere there must be a man who could be my husband and not feel inferior. <laughs> who, who's Hedy Lamar? I don't know. I don't, I'm, am so I Hedy Lamar uh, is 
from way back, way back in the day, she was like an actor as well as an inventor. Um, and in fact, uh, we're probably all using something that Hedy Lamar actually patented like ages ago. Um, she, she invented frequency hopping, which is what we use in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, um, as well as probably a lot of other stuff. She was a really, really smart person and, you know, for better or worse, she was also a really beautiful person. Um, and so I don't know that society really appreciated her intelligence, um, as much as it probably could have. But uh, just hearing the way she talks about, you know, marriage is, you know, pretty funny because marrying up is what men say they want until they actually sometimes marry up. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, like Todd, you married up, um, and how dare all the ways. you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But, but you yeah. know, you you have no problem being married to uh, a doctorate, right? Like yeah. she. She knows a thing or two, and I've never seen you hesitate to be like, yeah, you need to ask Jenny. <laughs> like, that's, that's not <laughs> <Yeah>. my bag. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and so I love this this concept of, um, you know, sometimes guys, like, that's my goal. Like, I want to marry someone smarter and more successful, not to take care of me, but to, to challenge me and also champion me. Uh, I'm, I, that's what I want out of life is, I don't know, a journey with someone, not for someone and certainly not as baggage to someone else. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the beautiful thing. Yeah. What do you make of Hedy Lamar, uh, Hannah? I love that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> just, just find, find a guy that's Kenef. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so perfect. Can we end the podcast on that? Yes, please. And oh. scene. Awesome. <laughs> well, great. That's that's fantastic. I could I could talk ad nauseum on that, but I'm not going to because Hannah, you've you've just ended the podcast perfect on a perfect note. Thank you, Hannah, so much for joining us. Thank you yes. everybody for listening. If you have any kind of um, uh, suggestion, please let us know. Uh, but please share us with your friends and review us and subscribe. All that stuff helps a ton. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. And I'm Hannah. <laughs> Go watch some movies. <laughs> <laughs>